But the question that becomes so many times is, you know, what happens when, uh, how does a person come and know, become a follower of Jesus Christ? And in our culture today, and if you grew up in the church, you may have even thought of this, is, well, you have to say a certain prayer and say certain words, and, and that's all you have to do. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You, you get, come down and you ask Jesus Christ into your heart. In fact, that's the phrase we usually say. I didn't realize this was controversial until uh, the, the farmers, so we were down the, doing our, down at the farmer's market this past summer and passing out Bibles, and we had a, a book that's, that had this title, Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. A lady comes up to me, because we have the banner saying, you know, Bedford Alliance Church, the lady comes up to me and says, what kind of church are you? I said, well, what are you talking about? You said, this book says, stop asking Jesus Christ into your heart. Don't you guys believe that Jesus is the Savior? And I said, yes. I said, well, let me explain to you what that book is about. And so it was the teen edition, which is a little bit uh, different cover. But uh, I explained to her, I said, this book is asking that question of how does a person really become a follower of Jesus Christ? So many times and, and through evangelistic sermons and, and through uh, going to events like, like Winter Jam, you get to the end where a, a gospel presentation is, 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 is given and all of a sudden the person says, if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and receive him in your heart, then repeat these words after me. And then there's that sinner's prayer that we call it. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Come into my heart. And then what happens so many times after that, and, and I love going to, to Winter Jam, uh, and, and there's, but sometimes I wonder as they're presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ and they have this, the, the, the person who says that and they have the whole entire stadium repeat this prayer after them and you're hearing all the kids and all the adults there say this prayer and then they ask the question, if you said that prayer for the first time in your life, raise your hand and you see hands going up all over the where and, you're, and we're celebrating, it's like, yes, yes, this is it, this is it. But really, is it really it? interesting thing in that conversation in the farmer's market after I explained what the book was about, she actually took the book. Because again, the book is all about asking that question. What does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? And that's what we're going to explore as we go throughout this new series of salvation. What really happens when a person comes to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior? And what does it really mean? Is that... What it is all about is coming down to that altar to say that sinner's prayer, to, to just to, to repeat those words and, and then leave. And is that it? Well, what does the Bible actually teach? How does a person come to know Jesus, become a follower of Jesus in their lives? And the two passages that we're going to look at today in Acts chapter 2 and Romans chapter 10, these are, are fairly straightforward passages where it says, if you do this, then you will be saved. 
And so the question becomes, okay, well, what do we have to do? What, what, how, what is the if part? And so in Acts chapter 2, and there's an outline in your, in your bulletin if you want to follow along. But in Acts chapter 2, many of us remember Acts chapter 2. 40 days after the Gospel of Luke ends, uh, we have this scene where in Pentecost where the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples there. And it's just not the apostles, the, the 11, the 12, with Matthias being chosen. They're not just the 12 apostles, but there's over 70 people there in that upper room, uh, waiting upon the, the promise of the Holy Spirit to come, as Jesus said. And so 40 days at Pentecost, you have this scene where the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and all of a sudden they start speaking in foreign languages. They start speaking in tongues. That's what is happening here. And you can look at the beginning part of Acts chapter 2 where the crowd, and again, Pentecost was a festival, Jewish festival, where every single male had to go to Jerusalem according to the Old Testament law. So the city of Jerusalem was flooded with people from all over the entire Roman Empire that were Jewish people. And they didn't all speak Hebrew. They didn't all speak Aramaic. They kind of all spoke maybe a little Greek because that was the international business language. But one of the things that happens here in the, in the book of Acts is as the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them, they begin to supernaturally speak languages that people understand. I would argue the gift of tongues is not a secret prayer language, but when you look at the way the Acts talks about the tongues of the Holy Spirit coming upon them, they are supernaturally able to speak in human languages to tell people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what happens here in the, in the uh, Pentecost. Is all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes. They're speaking and, and they're explaining. And all of a sudden the pe crowd is looking at them and thinking, how can this be? These are Galileans that are uneducated, and they can tell because of their, their accent. We talked, joked around about that. You can tell people from different parts of America because of their accent, how they speak certain words. Like if you say gum bands, you know you're from the Pittsburgh area type deal uh, because everybody else in the world calls them rubber bands uh, for around Pittsburgh and central Pennsylvania a little bit, influenced by that. But you can tell where they're from because of their accent. That was happening. They're thinking, how can they speak my language because they're from Galilee? And then Peter stands up and says, let me explain what happened to you, what happened here. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk. But the Holy Spirit has just been poured out upon them. And then he goes all throughout the entire, now we're, this isn't Peter's full sermon. This is probably just a summary that Luke gives us in this passage of this is what Peter, some of the things that Peter said. And so then all of a sudden, they get to the end, and, and again, you read the, the Peter's address, and he is, I mean, he's hammering them and saying, Jesus, the one that you crucified, oh yeah, 40 days earlier, yeah, that guy that you know about, that he died upon that cross, he went to that grave, and yeah, he didn't stay there. Three days later, he rose again, and we're eyewitnesses of this. And he's telling them, this is what the prophets have said, Old Testament prophecy have said all along. We saw that, that there's over 400 prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah coming Messiah. Jesus fulfilled over 300 of them. The other ones will be fulfilled when he comes again in his second coming. And so Peter is just explaining, Jesus, the one you crucified, he's the promised Messiah. And we get down to uh, verse uh, 37 that, we, that Janet read. And it says, when the people heard this message, 
And again, they're hearing it in their own language, their own heart language, as we would say nowadays. When people heard this language, what happened? They were cut to the heart. Their hearts were pierced. And they responded and said this, Brothers, what must we do? You're following along your outline, the first point of this. After hearing about Jesus and after hearing about what Jesus has done, the crowd wanted to know how they were to respond. How were, brothers, how are we to respond to this? And then verse 38, Peter explains to them, this is how to respond. And he gives them some commands. And the first one is this. Peter responds and says, repent. We don't like that word nowadays. And in some ways, the American evangelical church has, has made it a little too easy to, to understand in the sense that, that, that what that made it easy to, to say that sinner's prayer and that's it. When we don't really explain to people this word, repentance. Peter says the first step, if you want to know how to respond to this message, is you have to repent. And what does that word mean? To feel remorse. And to change your mind about Jesus. It's just not saying, oh yeah, I'm sorry for, for, for doing things that are, are wrong against God. You know, it's like, like when you are younger and you get caught with your hand in the cookie jar and you're, and you're thinking, oh, I, got, I need to apologize to my mom because, or I'm going to get a swat or, or a spanking. And so you're like, oh, mom, you know, I'm so sorry. I didn't really mean to do that in reality. No, we really did mean to put our hand in the cookie jar because we wanted that cookie. So there is an aspect of being sorry to feel remorse, of being like, okay, I feel bad because I disobeyed God in this area. But, there's, but it's more than that. It's a changing your heart and changing your mind about Jesus. And that was what Paul, Peter was saying here. He was saying, listen, repent. You had one attitude about Jesus, that he, was, he wasn't the Messiah, that he was a crazy person, that he might, you might have even believed that he was a good, maybe moral teacher, a religious teacher, but you didn't really believe in him. So repent, change your heart, change your mind, and, 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 be, and change that of your view about Jesus. Repent. And understanding even more is you're heading in the wrong direction, and so it's actually you're repenting, so you're changing direction, and you're heading now into, a, into following after Jesus. That there has to be that time of repentance, of being sorrowful, saying, I'm a sinner. God, I disobeyed you. I fell below your perfect standard, because I'm not perfect. I had the wrong understanding of who Jesus was. But now I have this right understanding that He is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. So that's the first, the first command. The second command, Peter says, is be baptized. And again, in the culture of the day, you have to understand what baptism understood. Why in the world does Peter say here, you know, repent and be baptized? Do we, is it really that, that baptism that, that is going to save these people? And the answer is no, there, it's not. But in the first century culture, baptism meant this public confession to the crowds. 
And so that's what Peter is saying here. Repent. Turn from, from your wrong understanding of who Jesus is and be baptized. Publicly declare that you are now going to follow Jesus. That you are now going to be a disciple of His. The public confession. That's why so many times when you read throughout the book of Acts, you see that whenever a person uh, who you look at the 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 Ethiopian eunuch, and he understands Isaiah 53, and, and as Peter, as, as um, you know, the guy who was explaining to him was, was uh, explaining that this is Jesus, and all of a sudden he says, is there any reason why I can't be baptized? And they find a pawn, and they, they go and baptize him right there and there because it was that public confession saying, I am now going to follow Jesus with my life. That's what baptism represents. That public confession nowadays in, in our church here, in, in, in the American church, most people are not baptized right away when they put their faith and trust in Jesus. In fact, sometimes people are never baptized. But when you think about baptism, and what and a couple about a year and a half ago we had a baptism service and where and what did we do? It was that time where people stood at at this uh, podium and they said, "This is what my life was like before Jesus. This is what my life is like now with Jesus, and I choose to be a follower of Jesus." And what does baptism all about? You get we do baptism by immersion. So you get down and then we we dunk you under the water, representing that your old sinful life is buried, is gone. And as you rise up out of that water, you are now a new creation in Christ. That's what all that symbolism is all about. And Peter says, listen, how do you respond to this gospel of Jesus Christ? The first one is you have to admit and understand that, that you... you you have to repent from your sin and you have to change your mind about who Jesus is. That you have to choose to follow Him. Secondly, have that public confession that's saying, yes, I am choosing to follow Christ. Nowadays we do that through altar calls. But I would love to do it through baptisms. As soon as someone comes to me and says, hey, you know what, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Okay, here we go. Next Sunday we're being baptized. In fact, if you are an inventor, this hasn't been invented yet, so you can patent it and make a lot of money. Churches would love this. Color-changing baptism robes. Because when you walk into that water, you are that representing you are having black, being that sin. Because you are a worthless sinner before a holy God. You get dunked underneath that water and you come up and you are wearing now a white robe because you are forgiven. And your sins have been washed away. And that's exactly what Jesus, that's exactly what Paul, Peter says here. If you repent and be baptized in the name of who? Of Jesus. And we saw that even as we closed out the Gospel of Luke. We saw that, that the, this forgiveness of sins will be preached in the Messiah's name. Because of what the Messiah, Jesus, has done, His death and resurrection, there is forgiveness of sins. And then Peter goes on and tells them that. Then not only that, but that you will receive what? The gift. 
you will receive this freely. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives at the moment we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You will receive the Holy Spirit who comes in and makes you new, who makes you alive, who changes your life. Your sins will be forgiven. You will receive the Holy Spirit. You will be saved. So again, according to Peter, how does a person come to know Jesus Christ? Or how does a person become a follower of Jesus? You will never say, hear me during this series, how does a person become a Christian? Because what Jesus calls us to be disciples, to be followers of him. Yes, the word Christian is used in the Bible. But it was used more in a derogatory term. But every time you see, you know, what does Jesus call us to? It's to be a disciple, to be a learner, to become like him, because that's what a disciple of a person is all about. So how does a person become a follower of Jesus? To repent, to change their heart, to change their mind, uh, what Jesus is, to, to admit that they are sorry for their sin, to be baptized at public confession, that I am no longer going to follow my sinful ways. I am going to follow after Jesus now. And Peter says, when you do those things, your sins are forgiven, and you will receive the Holy Spirit in your life. Well, some people then look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 10, and they say, well, Paul, Peter and Paul, you know, they say two different things. Well, when you actually look at what, again, when you actually look at the context and you actually look at what Paul is saying, you will see that, that they, they're saying, even though they use different terminology, they are saying the same thing. In fact, as Paul starts off here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, if you declare. And what is that declare or declaration referring to? If you declare or if you confess with your mouth that what? That Jesus is Lord. If you could declare with your mouth or you confess that Jesus is Lord. And again, it has that confess publicly. This is Paul's way of saying that if a person has to get to that place where they confess publicly with their mouth that Jesus is what? Lord, mean the master of your life. That's what Lord means. Lord means master. You realize that when, you, when a person becomes and chooses to follow Jesus, what happens in their life is, is Jesus becomes the master and you become the servant. You become a slave. Which is why Paul over and over again when he's introducing his letter, he says, I am a slave to Jesus Christ. I am a servant of Jesus Christ. Because I'm following after Jesus. And He is my Lord. He is my master. And now, again, that word disciple, that Jesus calls us to be a disciple, becomes a learner, becomes a follower. And now everything that I do in my life is all about how can I serve Jesus, my master. When I'm at my job, that God has placed me here for, in my position for a reason, how can I serve 
Jesus in this capacity. In my, in my neighborhood, the, the place that I'm living there is not by accident. God has placed you there. How am I to serve and be that witness to the rest of my community? How am I to serve my master? I confess publicly that Jesus is the master of my life. But then Paul goes on and goes further. Not only do we confess publicly, but we are to do what? We are to believe. We are to believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. To understand and believe, there's a lot of things that I believe that doesn't affect my life. I I believe sometimes can simply mean head knowledge. Is this facts that I know? You know, I believe that George Washington was the first president of the United States. It doesn't really affect how I live, but I believe that. I mean, I've been to his house. I believe that Delaware was the first state in the, in the United States to ratify the Constitution. I believe that, but again, it doesn't affect how I live my daily life. This type of belief when the Bible talks about belief is this, is you consider something to be true and you commit your life to that truth. Jesus' death and resurrection affects how you live. That's the type of belief the Bible talking about. It's like this. When you walked into the sanctuary here, maybe you consciously didn't think this and the next Sunday when you walk in you'll probably consciously think this and not since, since I said this when you walk into the sanctuary here you consciously uh, didn't say this but you you looked at these chairs and you said maybe inwardly oh I believe that this chair can hold me and so what do you do you sit in it there's a reason why people sit in the same chair every single Sunday because they know, they believe that they, that chair can hold me. But if I go over two chairs, I don't really know. <laughs> it's a stretch of belief or faith there. But that belief that I believe it, it to be true based on fact, and it is affecting every single how I live my daily life. That is the, what God calls us to. Just not head knowledge. There's not some facts. Hey, I know that Jesus was a real person because, I mean, the Bible tells me so, and that's, that's it. No. When you come to know, when a person comes to know Jesus as their Savior and becomes a follower of Jesus, this belief is that they don't know that this is how I believe that Jesus rose again. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and it affects every moment of every single day of my life. It changes us. And Paul says, if you confess with your sins, sorry, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then what will happen? You will, not might, not, oh, I hope so, you will be saved. You will. You'll experience that forgiveness of sins and you will be saved. You see, the gospel of Jesus is like this iceberg. I know you, uh, if you are part of our uh, sexual orientation identity 
class, you've seen this iceberg, and as we talked about that as well. But our lives are like this iceberg. And what you see above the water is the behavior side of things. And this is why if a good counselor understands this, when they deal with people that have anger issues, you know, so many times it's like, okay, well, we got to fix that behavior. But if a good psychologist, a psychiatrist understands that there's something that motivating the anger. And so if you want to fix a behavior, then you have to start what's hitting those thoughts and beliefs. You have to understand, you know, ask that question, what's motivating that behavior? What does a person actually believe? What is a person actually thinking? And that's the why the gospel of Jesus, in order to change a person's behavior, a person needs to change what they believe. And that's why, when you look at why Peter and Paul both, they say, if you want to know, if you want to respond to the gospel of Jesus, then this is how you do it. You, you repent you declare with your, your mouth the public confession, I am a follower of Jesus. I am not going to follow the, my old sinful ways anymore. And this understanding of belief is affecting now every single ounce in my, in my life because the gospel of Jesus does this. It changes people from the inside out. That's what the book of James is all about. The, 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 the writer of James, uh, James is saying to his, his audience, listen, you say you have faith, faith in God. Guess what? Even the demons believe in God, and they shudder. And the difference between the demons' belief and, and our belief is that it doesn't affect how they live. And in fact, Satan and the demons know that there's a God more in some ways we do because they were in his presence at one point in time before they rebelled. The gospel of Jesus changes our hearts, and then changes our lives and how we live, which is why James can say, I will prove my faith and my trust in Jesus by how I live my daily life, because there's evidence that I now am a follower of Jesus Christ. But so many times, you know, go back to the iceberg, so many times in our experience, you know, we, we struggle, we wrestle with this. So, you know, I, I believe in Jesus. I know He is my personal Lord and Savior. Again, one of those phrases that we say, I know that I'm a follower of Jesus. I've committed my life to Him. But sometimes when we look at how a person lives, sometimes as believers in Jesus Christ you know, we sometimes don't always allow our faith in Jesus Christ to influence every aspect of our lives. And sometimes we do what I say, boneheaded things, and we fall into sin as believers. And we'll talk about that in the weeks ahead. I'm asking that question, again, from the Bible's point of view, what happens when a believer or a person in Jesus sins? And sometimes when that happens, we can have these doubts that creep in. And ask the question, am I really saved? Am I really a follower of Jesus Christ? And Satan loves to do that. 
Satan will come. He's the father of lies, and he, he's the accuser of the brother and some other titles that he, he is called in, in Scripture. He will come, and he will ask these questions, especially after we disobey God. Are you really a follower of Jesus? You know, if you were really a follower of Jesus, you realize Jesus' followers would never do, and you fill in the blank. How can you really be a follower of Jesus? And we become full of guilt. And we become full of shame. And we look at, we look at the other believers in our lives and we think, and man, they're, they're so far more, more godly than, than I could ever be. And so we get this two-tier system in the evangelical church, especially in America. It's like, oh, certain things are for pastors, certain things are for missionaries or international workers, and then certain people are, things are for your average believer. That is not the case in Scripture. Jesus says, if you want to be my follower, every single person needs to follow me like this, to become like him. But when we disobey God and when we sin as a follower sometimes Satan can come and fill us with shame well how do we how do we overcome that how do we not how do we as believers in Jesus Christ how do we not live defeated lives where we just are filled of shame and full of uh, full of shame and, and regrets all the time just by this we combat Satan's lies with God's truth we combat Satan's lies with the truth of God's word. There is a, a person who, a friend of mine, who struggled with this over and over again. And she would call me up or she would uh, just text me and say, I, I really want to know, am I, am I still a follower of Jesus? And I would tell her, you know, when you have those doubts and when you have those concerns, you have to bring God's truth. And that's where these feelings sometimes can lead us astray, where we have to have our brain take over what I, was, uh, I constantly told her. And so you have to open God's Word, and you have to sometimes literally say, this is what God's Word says. If you have doubts of your salvation, Romans chapter 10. Omega personally, I have declared with my mouth that Jesus is my Lord. I believe with all my heart that God raised him from the dead. Therefore, according to the truth of God's word, I am saved. You know what happened to her? It wasn't overnight. But all of a sudden, the more she did that, and the more she memorized God's word, and the more she reminded herself of the truth of God's word, all of a sudden, those doubts became less and less and less. And it, this is, can be applied to, I mean, Satan wants to knock us off. Satan wants to, the, the goal, and you see that there in the outline there, Satan's goal is to cause believers in Jesus to doubt and live defeated lives. But how do we not live defeated lives? We are, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are to combat his lies with the truth of God's word. Because if our thinking and our beliefs affect how we live, and that's the case for all of us, how we think 
what we believe, if you really want to know what a person really believes, the Bible says, then look at their lifestyle. Look at how they live, because it's not going to tell a lie. If our thinking and our beliefs affect how we live, then we need to fill our minds with the truth of God's Word. That's why Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And therefore, in view of God's mercy, because of this great gift of salvation that God has, has given you, therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as living sacrifices that are holy and that are pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And then it goes on in verse 2. Do not be conformed by what? By the, the pattern of this world. But be transformed. How does our lives become transformed? By the renewing of your mind. Because when you start thinking about and meditating on God's Word and allowing God's Word, the truth of God's Word, to become deep and thin your heart, it changes and affects how you live because your thinking is totally different. And if our thinking and our beliefs affect how we live, then we need to fill our minds with the truth of God's Word. So here's the challenge. Practical challenge, because this is rubber meets the road here. Because as a pastor, that I've been a pastor now uh, for, for, for about 20 years in some capacity, as a youth pastor and assistant pastor and as lead pastor. And the number of people that I have talked to that wrestle with this question of how do I know? How do I really know? And I take them to these two verses and say, well, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is how the person becomes a follower of Jesus according to the Scripture. Have you done this? Well, yeah, I've done it. Then you're a follower of Jesus. Yeah, but Satan comes and, and tries to, to tell me I'm not. Then tell them these verses and personalize them and, says, and say them out loud if you have to. In your heart, memorize them to get them from your heart to your, to your, yeah, to your heart, to your brain to your heart, so that you are basing your life upon the truth of God's Word. Because I love that verse in Psalm 119. I have hidden your word in my heart. Why? So that I may not sin against you. When I was at district conference, we talked about this question of who's in your life raft. The speaker gave an illustration of him going whitewater rafting. I've been whitewater rafting, not at Ohio Pile. I did it down in, in Tennessee on a youth, uh, youth trip and um, probably will never do it again in my life um, because I'm a scaredy cat when it comes to certain things like that. But the youth wanted to do it, and I was their leader, and I said, okay, I guess we're going whitewater rafting then. And then I prayed the whole time down the river uh, and, and, and prayed that I wouldn't lose anybody and I wouldn't die and, that, uh, and so forth. Literally, I did pray that because I'm a scaredy cat again. But the question of who's in your raft is whose voices are you listening to? And we were talking about, you know, how in the, in the church in America right now, there's this 
there's this divide, and depending on what side of the aisle politically you you find yourselves, you're either listening to voices all on the right side or all on the left side, and there's very, and it's dividing churches like crazy all over the United States. But that's so true even within our lives of walking our obedience in, in our lives with God is whose voices are we listening to? Are we spending time every single day to make sure that we are building our lives upon the truth of God's Word and listening to His voice and His alone? Because again, Satan loves to come in, to fill us with guilt and to fill us with shame, to cause doubt in our heads and say, how can you, a follower of Jesus, do that? Are you really, does God really love you? And we need to say yes. Because this is what God's Word says. Not man's opinion, not my pastor's opinion. This is what the truth of God's Word says. Again, how does a person become a follower of Jesus? According to Peter and according to Paul, they're basically saying the same thing. Repentance, that belief that Jesus is who he says he is, and I'm going to base my life upon that belief. And it's going to affect every single decision that I make. Public confession. I'm going to tell people that I'm a follower of Jesus and I don't care what they do to me. They may, have, they may think I've lost my mind. They may, they may think that maybe not so much here in America, but around the world when people come to know Jesus. I was listening to, I like to listen to the Voice of the Mars uh, uh, podcast uh, where they tell in this uh, South, uh, South, South Asia country, when a person comes to follow Jesus, they know immediately they will be kicked out of their home, they'll be kicked out of their town, they will have to go live someplace else. Again, being a follower of Jesus is costly. It costs something, but it's a public confession Say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I don't care what happens. And according to Paul and Peter, when a person does that, you are saved.